This was big news yesterday. Enbridge has signed a deal to sell a minority stake in seven pipelines in the Athabasca region of northern Alberta to a group of 23 First Nation Métis communities for $1.12 billion. Now, Alberta's Premier Jason Kenney called the purchase historic, a game-changing deal at a press conference um, that included a bunch of people. He says, again, this is the single largest Indigenous transaction in the natural resource sector in the history of North America. I'm not sure that's exactly true, but that's what he says. Here, though, is uh, Chief Greg Desjardins of the Frog Lake First Nation. It's going to allow us to send our people to treatment you know, it's going to allow us to deal with the, the mental crisis that we have in, in our communities. That is Chief Greg Desjardins of the Frog Lake First Nation. Um, the group, which is called the Athabasca Indigenous Investments, is a limited partnership, again, of 23 Treaty 6 and Treaty 8 First Nations and Métis communities. It will manage the investment, which includes an 11.5% non-operating interest in the pipelines. And as we approach the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation tomorrow, the topic of where resources and resource extraction fits into that conversation, I felt was really an important one uh, around reconciliation and self-determination. So joining me now is Ellis Ross. He's the BC Liberal MLA for Skeena. He's the party's LNG and energy critic and a former Heisla Nation chief counselor. Uh, Ellis Ross, thanks for your time tonight. Not a problem, Ben. Your, your reaction, I guess, to the Enbridge deal, because it is a big deal. And, uh, you know, we were talking, there's a lot going on in the world, but uh, it struck me as being a really important deal as well. Oh, without a doubt. But it, but it's not really uh, new news. Uh, the, the idea of equity and ownership in these projects has been around for the better part of 18 years. Uh, but now the discussion is going from theory to reality. So it's, I mean, this, this discussion is happening in many different sectors, including forestry, mining, even LNG for that matter. So it's uh, it, it's quite satisfying to see it get to this stage, but it, I'm not really surprised by it. Yeah, I, I guess as we, one of the reasons that, uh, you know, as tomorrow's National Day for Truth and Reconciliation and, and this whole idea of, of, resource, of, of resources and how they can benefit communities, and I know this is something very close to you. Um, where do you think that fits into this conversation? Well, let me take you back a bit to the, the Constitution of Canada. Section 35, that has been defined by the by the courts of BC and Canada, and really what, that's where the, you first hear the word reconciliation. And when you hear those words, it's mainly around the idea of resource development. So right. if, if the government's got to make a decision around, uh, say, some type of resource development like forestry or mining, then they've got to reconcile the Aboriginal rights and title with a government decision. And that's where really the word reconciliation came to be in Canada. I mean, you know, the, I was watching, uh, reading an interview, an interview you did with the Globe and Mail this week about the Kitimat project, of, which is uh, moving along. It's a massive project. A bit about that too, just what uh, when you championed that project for Kitimat for uh, your community, what were the benefits that you saw there? Oh, uh, we went from uh, one of the poorest bands in BC to one of the wealthiest, and uh, contrary to what the news that you're actually talking about right now, mm-hmm. I actually declined equity in, in most of the projects that came across my desk, uh, mainly because uh, I felt that there were some deficiencies and lack of capacity in terms of what we could do as a band council. But uh, I know there's other bands out there that are, are more up to par with uh, making an equity stake in these major projects. But uh, the benefits uh, for my people is, is just across the board. I mean, we're no longer reliant on Indian Act money coming from Ottawa, 
Uh, we're not reliant on BC government. We're actually building our own youth center, elder center, soccer field. You name it, we're doing it on our own. And uh, quite frankly, the, the governments now are not coming to us willingly, wanting to give us money to be part of our success story. So it's it's completely turned our people around. You took some heat for it, though. You continue to. I mean, you've taken heat over it for 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 years now. From uh, why do you think that is? Uh, I think because the, the rhetoric and the narrative. Uh, against big, bad government and big, bad corporations and the big, bad white man has been so ingrained in people. And to be honest, before I became a, a, a leader back in 2003, I, I had a bit of that ingrained in me. It took me a couple of years to realize that that narrative actually wasn't true. And if anything, uh, if, if anything was holding us back, it was uh, people like myself that were believing these false narratives. So, But, but there's a lot of... Uh, uh, anti-resource development that are based on the idea that First Nations don't like resource development or don't want to develop the land. And that's that, that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, explain that, because I think that is a perception that many people have. Yeah, well, uh, the original uh, LNG projects, there was many of them in BC. There was 18 at one time. But about three of them were centered in my territory, in, in Kitimat Village territory, and really, we're the ones in 2004 that started exploring LNG, and then we brought it to the B.C. government and the federal government said, look, you got to get behind this LNG. It's a great initiative. We can supply clean energy to the world, plus we can lift our people out of poverty. It wasn't until seven years later in 2011 when Christy Clark came to power in B.C. and said, okay, let's take a look at it. But this idea that uh, somehow the B.C. government or the NDP or the federal government were responsible for LNG is false. It was actually us as First Nation leaders from Kitimat to Prince George and some down the coast. And it, it was actually related to forestry as well and mining in other sectors as well. But we always had the idea that we could get away from the Indian Act if we actually brought in our own money and then we could be able to stand our own two feet. And you've you've been watching attentively as as this demand for LNG has really grown. Uh, you've been talking about uh, wanting to bring the German Chancellor to Kitimat or go to Germany yourself to talk to people about this. So, uh, you you believe that there's a there's opportunity here as well. I mean, obviously Canada doesn't look like we're going to be able to provide what we what they need, uh, but maybe there's a conversation to be had there if you go. Well, without a doubt, and the only reason Canada and BC will not be able to provide it because the political will is not there. I mean, back in 2004, 2005, people were telling us that the export of LNG would never happen. You couldn't do it. And then, lo and behold, I, LNG Canada, the $40 billion investment gets done. So, And Europe, back in those days, was part of the conversation. But Europe kind of sloughed us off and said, no, we got our own energy. Thank you very much. So we focused on India and uh, China. So I do believe if Canada and B.C. won't entertain Germany and Europe in terms of their energy crisis – then I think First Nations should pick up the ball and go to Ottawa and talk to European ambassadors and then head out to Germany in March for the uh, LNG conference. Yeah, it would be, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's certainly, it's an interesting way of looking because the, the need is there, right? Have you had any response from any ambassadors? Have you reached out to anyone? No. Uh, well, I did yeah. try to talk to uh, uh, the Consul General of Vancouver, but I, I do believe they've got their own plans in place right. to come up to terrorists and Kitimat and look at the LNG projects. Uh, but uh, but I'm not going to stop. I'm, I think this is a, a global issue. And if, if we're not part of the solution, I think we're definitely part of the problem. So I, I truly believe some First Nation leaders believe the same thing I believe. 
Yeah. Ellis Ross is our guest this half hour. He's the BC Liberal MLA for Skeena. He's the party's LNG and energy critic and a former Heisla Nation chief counselor. Uh, of course, the major Kitimat project, uh, the LNG facility there, that will be Canada's first, by the way. It should be, I guess, up and running by 2025, we believe. It's about 70% complete. Uh, there'll be a pipeline built into there as well. And we've been talking a lot about LNG these days uh, because of what's going on in Europe and their huge sudden need for a lot more energy as they wean themselves off Russian energy. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more about this idea of reconciliation and resources. Stay with us. Ellis Ross is our guest this half hour. He's the BC Liberal MLA for Skeena. He's the party's LNG and energy critic. He's a former Heisla Nation chief counselor uh, and also one of the drivers behind the very big Kitimat project, LNG project that is unfolding as we speak. Nearly 70% done, I think. I mean, it's going to be, I get the impression with all the talk of LNG these days, Ellis, it's going to be a very big deal when that is up and running. It is currently right now with the amount of work that's being done on terminal. It is massive. And I, and I saw pictures of this throughout the last uh, 18 years, looking at PowerPoints and whatnot, and I've seen presentations. But to see it in person is just, oh, it's just incredible. I, I didn't anticipate uh, this magnitude of scale. But it's, it's still uh, you know, over a decade of work from a lot of different leaders, and especially my band, my band council. When you look at... Um... At the last 10 years, I mean, and I know you, you advocate, of course, for, for projects, maybe not as big as yours, but projects like yours are a great way to uh, to make sure that uh, the different First Nations around the country can can benefit. Um, what advice do you have, though? Because there must have been lots of ups and downs as you went through this. Well, when we first started in 2004, there was really no examples for us uh, to look at in B.C. So we went around B.C., we went around Alberta, and we couldn't find one example that fit what we were going to go through. Because we're looking at not just uh, LNG Canada, we're looking at Chevron's $30 billion project. So we had to basically, you know, put this together by ourselves. We had to create a relationship with the BC government by ourselves. Uh, so really my advice that, uh, to anybody getting involved with these types of projects is understand exactly what process is in front of you. Understand the politics that's in front of you. And if you truly want you know, a better future for yourself and for your descendants, whether you're native or non-native, then truly keep an open mind and, and don't, don't, don't give in to the politics or the rhetoric. Yeah, because there's a lot of politics involved. I mean, you've been pretty outspoken about some of the criticism you've, you've taken, some of the criticism we hear from Hollywood and so on. Um, you know, as, we, as we approach tomorrow, uh, the 30th, I know your parents went to residential school. I mean, this is something it's close to you. Where do you think this all, where, where can we have a conversation about reconciliation and resource development where people aren't just divided on these two sides and yelling at each other? Well, I could take you down to the basics of why I did this in the first place. Like ultimately what I'm doing, I knew this would benefit BC. I knew it would benefit Canada in terms of uh, revenues for the government, for economy, for jobs, for everybody. But ultimately back when I first started, I wanted to dig our people out of poverty and what we did here in Kitimat actually succeeded. So to the Leonardo DiCaprio's and, and then there's these Ruffalo characters and Susan Sarandon's, I mean, you're, you're sitting on your high horse in Hollywood and you're criticizing us, but I don't see you here trying to resolve suicides. I don't see you here trying to resolve per capita the, 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 the greatest amount of people going into prison are First Nations. I don't see you trying to resolve 80% unemployment on our reserves. And yet here, when you come to Kitimat, you can see a success story. 
And ultimately, I kept saying this over and over because it was actually uh, one of my uh, virtues that were actually built into me by my people. Ultimately, we want to tell Ottawa at some point, we don't need your money. We don't want your funding. The Indian Act means nothing to us. We are truly independent. And we're we're pretty close. I'd say we're probably 95% close. So if you really want to see how to resolve First Nations issues across the board, not totally, but across the board, then come look at our band, come talk to us, come see our success, and come see how it's actually changed our outlook, starting from our council right down to our individual people, whether we're talking about people that stayed out of prison or single moms or, or even people my age that never even had a job in their life, and, and, it's, and their life has turned around. So this, this is what I try to tell people around the world. The, the, the First Nations issues in Canada, it's possible to solve them, but not with government programs not with what we've been doing for the last 50 years. It's got to be a brand new playbook. Yeah, what is that? I mean, that, what is that playbook is obviously evolving for you, right? What do you think it looks like in 2022? I think hopefully that uh, the idea of First Nations getting involved with just projects does not make the news. It's just run-of-the-mill, running a province, running a country, and no longer are we talking about uh, the social issues of First Nations people but we're talking more about how First Nations are more integrating more with the local lives of BC and Canada. Like take, for example, COVID. Um, my band, when, when they saw how bad COVID was going to be, donated $300,000 to a local hospital to help them with cost. They helped the local food banks. They helped with uh, employment and training by buying a private post-sec institute in town that's open to everybody in BC. I mean, that's, that's truly another level of reconciliation because reconciliation really means, if you look up in dictionary, it's two parties coming back together. That's what reconciliation means. And for the most part, we've achieved that here in Kitimat. And there's, there's no animosity between the natives and non-natives here because we can see that the benefit of the LNG project and the aluminum smelter modernization and the forestry programs, everybody's benefiting, not just natives. So what does tomorrow mean for you then this year? Oh, tomorrow for me means that my uh, grandkids will not have to go through the things I went through. They will not have to uh, go through going from welfare to unemployment insurance to a part-time job and back to welfare. They will not have to think about the idea that uh, they can't get a house because they're not on the list for the bank council. They can actually go to the bank, get their mortgage, and get a, a house just like everybody else. They can, like, just like my daughters, planning vacations, uh, buying a house, just enjoying life, you know, without the, the false narratives or the false rhetoric. That's ultimately what tomorrow looks like for me. Well, Ellis Ross, um, as always, thank you so much for your time tonight. A very interesting perspective. And, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing your story with us today. All right. Thank you very much, Ben.